Father in heaven, we are so grateful that we can come before you this afternoon. We're so grateful for this week of prayer that we have had and this Sabbath that we are having right now together. Thank you, Lord, that we can again uh, go to your word, and I do pray that you will speak to us, that you will open our minds and our hearts, and Lord, that you will show us your will for our lives. Prepare us, Lord, as we are about to partake of the bread symbolizing your body and, and, and the grape juice signifying your blood, and as we remember what you went through for us 2,000 years ago. Lord, may this not just be merely a motion or a pattern, uh, a religious activity, but may it be truly an experience, Lord, that brings us closer to you. For I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. A couple of uh, years ago, my wife and I were traveling on a plane, as we do often in our work. For the last 10 years, uh, my wife and I have uh, uh, run a ministry together called Living Water. I haven't told you so much about that, but that's basically a traveling, uh, preaching and teaching ministry. We also teach at a Bible school in Norway. Uh, if, by the way, I can just put it here as a parenthesis, if you would like to know more about our ministry, you can go to our website, which is www.livingwater, one word, .no. And uh, we have material there both in Norwegian, which won't help you so much, but we do also have a lot of material in English or German or Swedish, so you can choose your language. But uh, for uh, the most of you, English will be your first language or your best language. And, uh, but you'll find a lot of material there if you're interested. We have videos, audio messages, Bible studies, um, also updates of where we are and what we're experiencing in the mission field in different parts of the world. So if you would like to follow along, you can check out that website, livingwater.no. Um, elsewise, you can also find, find me on Facebook. Uh, I'm not there very often, but I do post updates of experiences that we have in the field, so I'd love to, to keep in contact with you. And I always like to say wherever I go, you know, if we don't meet again, let's make sure we meet at the Tree of Life. Amen? Now, uh, we were on, this, we were on, a, uh, on a plane, and um, we sit next to this man, and we get into a conversation, and of course, many times the question goes, well, what do you do for a living? And I always like to hear that question. Because uh, being a minister of the gospel, it's very easy to get right into a spiritual conversation. And so uh, we got into a spiritual conversation, and uh, um, this man, he said, you know, um, and he was interested to talk about these things, and, and the conversation took a turn that we started to talk about the, or, the origin of life. And uh, we shared some thoughts, my wife shared some thoughts about creation and what the Bible says, and uh, he kind of paused for a moment, was silent for a moment, and then he turned to us and he said this, these words. He said, all the Christians I know don't actually believe the Bible. And he said, I know a lot of Christians, but they don't actually believe what the Bible says. I mean, we were obviously sharing that we believed in a literal six-day creation week, uh, followed by a seventh day, a day, a day of rest, and we were just sharing these thoughts with him. And for him, this was like, you know, it, was, it startled him because he had only met Christians that followed the traditional patterns but did not actually believe this book to be true or to be taken literally. And I believe that there are a lot of people in the world like that, a lot of Christians in the world like that, and sadly, a lot of Adventists like that. We follow a pattern of religion, but we really need to ask ourselves the question. We need, we need, in a sense, to have a reality check. Do we actually believe this book to be true? 
And if we do believe this book to be true, what kind of impact does that have on our lives? Too often, we live our lives uh, segregated. We have like two worlds. We have what we call, what we think is the real world, the things that are tangible around us, like food and work and friends and, and, and our career and our families. That's the real world. And then we have kind of the spiritual world that many times just gets our attention once a week when we're in church. And so e it is so easy to compartmentalize these two worlds. And so we have the real world, what we believe to be the real world, and then now and then we enter into the spiritual world. And so we hear about angels and miracles and healings and, 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 and God and, and all these kind of things. But then we kind of jump back into the, what we term real world when we go about our life from day to day. And I'm seeing this phenomena as I travel, and it's so prevalent within Christianity that I believe that it's so important for us to just take a pause and to have, as it were, a reality check. I mean, do we still believe this book? Do we still believe the teachings of Scripture? The late uh, Methodist preacher, Leonard Ravenhill, he put it this way. Um, he said, one of these days, a simple soul will pick up the book of God, will read it and believe it, then the rest of us will be embarrassed. You know, there's something in those words because how, I believe that we, as, Christ, as the Christian movement has moved forward from the first century, as we are now 2,000 years separated from that great event of the, uh, the death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus, we've come to a point where we... Where we uh, Religion has taken on all kinds of forms and traditions and patterns, but is it still the reality that we live our lives in? Does the gospel form the framework of reality in which we exist? That's really the question. I think I believe I, believe I shared this, uh, this quote at graduation a couple of months ago, so some of you will remember it, but um, someone said this, Christianity started in Palestine as a fellowship. It moved to Greece and became a philosophy. It moved to Italy and it became an institution. It moved to Europe and became a culture. And it moved to the US and it became an enterprise. Isn't that very significant? The journey of Christianity, what has happened is along the way, in the course of 2,000 years, we've picked up all this baggage, right? Okay, we need that. And here we are 2,000 years into this thing and we have a lot of baggage. And that baggage has formed our worldview. It has formed our perspective, our understanding. And that's why many Christians, predominantly most Christians in the world, they follow the forms of Christianity, the patterns of Christianity. Maybe it's a philosophy, maybe it's a culture, maybe it's an enterprise, maybe it's this, maybe it's that. But the real question is, is it the framework through which you view reality? You need a reality check, I need a reality check. I need to ask myself the question, do I actually still believe this book? And if I do believe this book, am I viewing the world around me through the scriptures? Are the scriptures, as it were, the glasses through which I understand the world around me? Or am I actually understanding the world around me more based on what I perceive to be the real world? Right? And so we compartmentalize our lives. We live in these two worlds. And we shift between these two worlds. And, you know, we, we spend most of our time in the real world. But then on Sabbath or once in a while at a conference or a week of prayer or something, we enter into that spiritual realm. But that's exactly what it remains for us. A realm for itself, separated from what we conceive to be reality. And my friends, this is a miserable way of living your life. 
And it is so important for us to sell out to the gospel and to not buy into what I like to term, and I hope you'll remember this, the just-in-case theology. I believe that we, we, we fall into this because what we do is we say, well, just in case, I'll plant one feet in the world and I'll get the best of the world. But you know, the picture of heaven is really beautiful. And what I read in scripture about eternity, if that is true, I really want that. So I'll put my other leg in the spiritual world. But, um, you know, I don't want to put all my bets on the spiritual world because just in case, I want to have a good life here now. And so we buy into what I like to term the just-in-case theology. But my friends, the scripture leaves no place for that kind of theology. Can someone say amen? The scripture leaves no place for a just-in-case theology. As a matter of fact, I want you to take notice of the, of the words of Paul. He asks us to sell out for the gospel, to live in one world and one world alone, and that's God's world. Turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and we're going to take a look at verse 12. We'll pick it up in verse 12. I want you to listen to the language of Paul here. Because the gospel will only go unhindered in our lives once we live in one world and one world alone, and that's God's world. We need a reality check. Listen to what Paul says, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning in verse 12. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? Obviously, this was something that was... Um, going on in his day and age. Some were believing that there was no resurrection, but Paul, he is arguing this, and he, and he makes the following point. Listen to this, verse 13. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty, and your faith is also empty. Yes, we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he has raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is what? Futile. And you are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life, in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. That's quite a strong argument he's making here. In other words, you know, if it's not true that Jesus actually lived and actually died and actually rose, if that is not true, then, and you're believing this thing, then according to Paul, you're the most pitif pitiful of all people. You know, it's not this kind of thing like, well, I'll just live a good life because um, even if it was not true, at least I had a good life. According to Paul, that's not really the case because when we sell out for the gospel, when we fully commit 100% for the gospel, this is all or nothing. There's no place for a just-in-case theology. There's no place for a two-world you know, dimension of, you know, I'll live a little bit in this world and a little bit of in this world. The Bible makes it very clear that there is one world and it's God's world and we're invited to step into it. And once we step into it and we go forth and we believe it and we live according to it, the gospel will move forward unhindered. I want you to take uh, notice of a verse. You're there in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Just flip a couple of pages to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Because 2 Corinthians chapter 4, I believe, really pinpoints um, what we're discussing here this afternoon and really gives a picture of, of what the enemy is trying to do in order for us to fall into this just-in-case theology. 
2 Corinthians chapter 4, and take notice of verse 3 and 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3 and 4. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. Verse 4. Whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. What is going on here? The God of this age, which is obviously the devil, Lucifer, Satan himself, the enemy of truth, what is he doing? According to this verse, he is blinding the mind of those that are not able to see the reality of the gospel, the beauty of the gospel. This is exactly what we are seeing taking place in our world today. The enemy is blinding our minds so that we do not live in the real world and the only world, the biblical world. And instead, our eyes are blinded for the realities of Scripture, and we find ourselves buying into this, this understanding that, well, you know, maybe it's truth, and, 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 and maybe it gives some more to my life, and maybe it gives me some more purpose and meaning, but I'm not really sure about it, so I'll just plant my feet firmly also in the here and now, because I've got to get the best here and now. I, I don't know about that. I'm not sure about that. But Paul is saying, don't let your mind be blinded by the enemy. My friends, we are living in a great controversy. I mean, when you look at the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation, it paints a picture of a controversy that is taking place between truth and error. I mean, from the beginning, Lucifer in heaven rebelled against his maker. He fell. A third part of the angels were drawn into this rebellion. And we see how this is playing out on the stages of this earth. Mankind decided to follow Lucifer in its footsteps and, and the fall took place and, and here we are 6,000 years into this drama and here we are and, and, and in our lives this great controversy is being played out. We are all subjects in this great, great drama of the great controversy and the question is, are we going to allow God to form our worldview? Are we going to allow the scriptures to give us the right picture of what is going to happen and what has happened and is happening and is going to happen? Or are we going to buy into what this world is trying to paint of a picture? You know, for many Christians, even the miracles of Christ and the resurrection itself is being questioned. And higher criticism will always ask questions about the Word of God. Well, was it really like that? Did that really happen? I mean, this certainly must be understood in an allegorical way or in a, in a, in a symbolic way. And the creation could certainly not be six days. And, and the flood, oh, that, that couldn't have happened. And, and all these kind of arguments you will hear over and over again, and this is even slipping into our very midst into our church. And it's just undermining the truth of Scripture. It's undermining the reality of God's world. And it's just forming a whole new world. And what it's doing is it's blinding our eyes to the truth of God's Word. And my friends, don't let that slip into your life. You need to sometimes just put the finger on the pulse of your religious experience, your, your, your Christian experience, and ask yourself the question, do I really still believe that book? I mean, if I, and if I do really believe this book, then am I living my life in accordance to the truths it reveals to me? Let us not be blinded by the enemy. 
I want you to take notice in the same chapter here, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, of not only the reality of the great controversy, but it brings out here the reality of a world to come. And I love this passage here. Um, drop down to verse 13. Look at what it says. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 13. And since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed and therefore I spoke. We also believe and therefore speak knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus and will present us with you. Now, Paul is not speaking here that maybe it will happen. Maybe there will be a resurrection. Well, at least I, I hope there will be a resurrection. That would be a good end to this grand and great story. I've had a lot of difficulties in my life, and I would really like there to be a resurrection. That's not what he's saying. He's not even saying that I'm highly convinced that there's going to be a resurrection. But he says, I know I know there's going to be a resurrection. I know. And, and he says, I believe. I mean, there is certainty in his words. I don't know if you've realized this. I'm sure you have. But we are living in a world today where it's not very popular to be certain about things and really to, to be sure about things because you should always leave a little room for doubt. You know, and, and, and what happens is we have all these assumptions and they're only assumptions and we find ourselves drowning in our own assumptions. And what happens is we basically wipe away our own foundation of reality because we just don't, we don't dare to make any claims because we're living in a world where it's not popular to make claims. It's not popular to actually believe something. Always leave room for doubt. Always leave room for another option. Always leave room for a possibility of something else. But that's not scripturally. I mean, scripturally, we are to believe it with all of our heart. Amen. I mean, we're to stand on something, a firm foundation. I mean, this is not just a book with good ideas. This is a book that is reality, reality for every single area of our lives. It's not just some good counsel to how you can have a better health or a better financial situation or a better, you know, whatever it may be. This is a book that paints the picture of what has happened in this world, the fall creation, the fall, redemption, uh, the final restoration of all things. My friends, it's a real picture. And sometimes we don't think about that enough. We just need to pause for a moment and have a reality check. Say, God, do I still believe it? Do I actually still believe every single word that comes from you? Yes, yes, I do. I want to. And if we don't, then, then let's cry out, Lord, help my unbelief. Help my unbelief. Help me to believe this and to live according to it. You know, just think about the, the promise of eternal life. I mean, that just, blows, that just blows our mind when we really start contemplating it and thinking about it. God is going to restore all things. Sin is going to be removed. I mean, we're going to spend eternity with Jesus. I mean, can you, have, you ever have you ever tried to think about eternity? It's kind of difficult, right? Because for us, everything has an end. Just think of, it goes on, but then, you know, there's the end. It's beyond that, and it's beyond that, and it's beyond that. There's no end to it. And we will always be with our Savior. We will be in a world restored. No sin, no suffering, no pain. This is reality. And my friends, we're a day closer. We're a day closer. I mean, do you still believe it? Do you still hold on to that truth? Or, or has it kind of just become an assumption? 
Don't drown in the pool of your own assumptions. Rather stand firm upon the Word of God. Believe it. Claim it. Have a reality check for a moment. And ask God to place these truths deep in your heart so that you with, with affirmation can say, God, I belong to you and I'm going to follow you. And let your gospel go forth unhindered. I don't want to live in two worlds anymore. I don't want to live in the one world of, you know, what I perceive as being real and now, now and then just visiting this spiritual world. No, my friends, there's only one world, and that's God's world, and it's the world described in this book. And if we believe it, then what we're doing is entering into this story, entering into the story and saying, God, use me. Use me as you used men and women of the past. Use me to be a voice for you. In this very same chapter, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, it gives us the call to ministry, and I want to end with these verses. I think they're so beautiful. Take a look at this, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. Because even though God could send angels to perform the work of spreading the gospel, He has privileged you and I to talk, take part in this. And I just love these verses here, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. We have this earthen treasure. That's the treasure of the gospel. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. You know, the treasure is, 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 is really in us, in an earthen vessel. I mean, wow, that God actually allowed us to partake in this work. It, it continues to amaze me that, that a work that, that, that angels would desire to do, and the Bible tells us that angels desire to look into the gospel, that they desire to look into the plan of redemption. And you and I have the privilege of carrying this to others. But it's if we carry forth this gospel while we live in two worlds, while we live in what we perceive to be the real world and now and then enter into the spiritual world, the gospel will be hindered. It will be hindered. Because people will notice that you don't really believe it. They will notice soon enough that, okay, you, you claim to follow it, but you don't really, really, really believe it. But when we sell out, when we abandon the just-in-case theology, when we step into the only reality, which is the reality of God revealed in His Scripture, and we go forth with the gospel unhindered, the world will be impacted. And people will see that you actually believe this, that you actually build your faith on this. My friends, there is a black and white picture. Don't be deceived into believing that you can't make firm claims when it comes to truth and error. My friends, the Bible is true. There are truthful statements here that form the way we think about the world around us, and we must affirm them over and over again. Because higher criticism is becoming more and more prevalent, and what it does is it just casts doubt upon this book over and over and over again. And what we're basically doing is we're placing ourselves above this book, and we're saying, well, can that really be true? Well, you know, I don't think it really happened like that. And uh, this must be understood symbolically, and this must be understood, you know, as an allegory, and this must be understood so and so and so. And we can basically just reason away the Scriptures. It's not hard to do that. It's been done before us. But God is waiting for a generation that will take this book and actually believe it. And I pray that you will be among those. I pray that Fountain View will be a place 
where this book will be affirmed over and over and over again, where, 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 where you as, as students will be rooted and grounded in this book, in this reality, so that you can go forth living in one world, and that's God's world, and people will see the difference, amen? And the gospel will be spread unhindered, and you will be writing chapters in the unfinished book of Acts. Chapters are being written, and your chapter can be added. And so that's my prayer, that the gospel will go forth unhindered, and that you and I will pause from, moment, from, from time to time to just have a reality check and to ask God, do I truly believe this? And if not, then Lord, help my unbelief. Work in me so that I may live according to every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Amen? Why don't we pray together before we partake of the communion service? Let's, let's kneel um, as we pray. Father in heaven, we are so grateful for your word. We are so grateful for every single word that proceeds out of your mouth. Thank you for the scriptures that paint a picture of a world that has fallen into sin and yet a world that is waiting for redemption and restoration. And Lord, here we are in the midst of this story. And I pray, Lord, that we will take our part in this story by allowing you to deeply plant the seeds of your gospel in our hearts that they may spring forth and that we will go forth unhindered spreading your word to a world in need. Thank you so much for Fountain View. Thank you so much for the students here, the staff here. Thank you that my wife and I have been able to spend a week here and it's just been a foretaste of heaven as we have seen and experienced the work that you are doing in the lives of people here. And I pray that you'll continue to allow this place to be a witness not only to Canada but to the world of what you can do, Lord. Help us to believe your word because we will only have success as we continue to believe and trust in you and live in the one world that you have made and created and that you have pictured in your scriptures. And so we thank you for this, Lord. We commit ourselves to you this afternoon. And as we are about to partake of the communion service, I pray that it may be a real experience for us, not a pattern of religion, not a tradition, not just something we do because we're here, but that we will pause to think and realize that, Jesus, you did this 2,000 years ago with your disciples, and you said, do this in remembrance of me until I come again. Lord, we believe you are coming soon, and we want to do this looking forward to see you face-to-face -face very soon. For we pray and ask these things in your precious name. Let everyone say, amen, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.